One of my favorite lines in the book is nothing augments shame like silence. So if you feel shameful about loneliness and you're not telling anyone, that only makes it worse. Thank you, Simone, for being part of the Therapize podcast. I really appreciate and value your time and energy. Thank you for having me. I love you. And before we get into like our discussion, I want everyone to understand like when we use the word loneliness, what 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 does the word mean to you? Because it's such a, a word that's thrown around, but what does it actually mean to you? So the experts, and not just me, um, define loneliness as the gap between the type and amount of connection you desire and the type and amount of connection you're getting. So loneliness is actually based on perception and not reality, which is why you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. Yeah, yeah. And even when you just say that, like you're, you're surrounded by people, and you can feel lonely. I hear that a lot in, in the therapy space with like even certain friends. I hear people say that a lot. And I wonder from your perspective, is that something that has driven you to understand loneliness more or is something that you've come across? Yeah. So one of the things that I came across is the work of Bruce A. Austin at the Rochester University of Technology. And he actually created a study that measured loneliness on a scale. And what he found out was that there were three major types of loneliness Um, And this explains why we can perceive people to be really social and have a full home with family and still be lonely. And it's this study that actually informed my five types of human connection that you'll see in um, chapter two of the book. So what he actually says is that there's something called intimate loneliness. This is where you can yearn for a romantic partner or one of those five really close connections in our lives. Um, people that you can truly be vulnerable with are your intimate connections. Something called relational loneliness. This is where people um, don't really belong to a social fabric. So there's a lack of um, social connection in their lives. So they might be living in an apartment, but like not really know their neighbors yeah, or yeah, yeah. go into their job every day, but don't really talk to their coworkers. I mean, we've yeah. all worked with people like that before. And then the third is um, collective loneliness. This is where you can have best buddies, you can have a wife, a husband, and all these things, but you don't have people who share a common interest with you. So maybe you're really into yeah. stamp collecting, but you can't find other people into stamp collecting and you really want to be seen that way. Um, and that's another type of loneliness. So you can see how nuanced it actually is. Yeah, and like from the, the three that you just mentioned, Do you feel like people can have all three or do you feel like people are more like, is there research that's shown that people are more on this one and this one and this one, or is it all of them that have like? Yes. I actually create a quiz. If you go to simonehang.com, you can work out which of the five types you're best at. What the research says is that we need a bit of all the five categories. So the other two that I would add to that are micro connections. These are the like seemingly banal everyday interactions that you would have, like when you nod to your neighbor or during the pandemic, when you, when you used to be able to go into Starbucks and look in the eyes of your barista and then you couldn't, there's a lot of dopamine and oxytocin we get from that mutual, small, positively polarized connection, that acknowledgement. So we need that as well. So that's another rung. And we need self-connection. And this is one that I've added because most of the time what's coming up is that people are not being able to connect 
with others because they just don't have the connection with themselves. So they're fracturing relationships, which obviously makes us feel terrible inside, fracturing relationships because of a lack of self-knowledge. So for me, I think we need all of them. And I do think some people play more strongly than others. So I'm very good with intimate connections, building very deep relationships. Um, I'm not probably the strongest superficial connector. So, of course, I'm very pleasant to my Uber driver or my barista or whatever it is. But I don't probably lean into that. Like some people can go, you know, you have an uncle or an auntie in your life that can go and have a 30-minute conversation with their waiter. I'm probably not as good with that as I could be. I always acknowledge and we have a little bit of back and forth, but I spend more of my time going really deep. And Lolita, you're one of my friends and you know, like I could have a deep, juicy conversation for hours. So I do think some of us play more to our strengths, but what's really worrying for me on social media is seeing all these tiles that are like, if your girlfriend can't have a deep conversation with you, cut her off. Um, your, Your girlfriend might just be a form of relational connection, which is, Uh, one of those types of loneliness I mentioned, but, you know, she might just be part of the social fabric that if you need a cup of sugar from next door, she'll lend it to you, but she might not be meant to be one of your intimate connections. So that broad stroke, everyone should be the same thing, I think is making us lonelier, this social media misinformation of just like cut people off because they're not giving this course, cut people off if they make you feel bad about yourself and they're toxic. But not everyone is meant to be the same sort of connection and you're not meant to get or your connection in your boyfriend or your girlfriend either. And it sounds like when you're when you're saying that, it's almost like the self not the self knowledge is the thing that sometimes is lacking. Is hang on a minute, I'm feeling a certain um, emotion here. I'm noticing this with this person. They're not available for me, so I'm just going to cut them off because they don't care. Whereas actually, the self knowledge is hang on, I'm noticing this with this person. Let me have a conversation. Let me try and make um, or, or understand where they're coming from, so then we can then deepen this relationship rather than seeing what social media is saying, oh, these are the signs and, and I'm just going to cut this person off. It's like, yeah, there's signs, but let's see what we can do about it to deepen that connection. And if we don't have these sort of deep connections, do you feel like that's the thing that's driving this um, this this loneliness pandemic right now that we're, we're going through? So I think one in three Americans said they didn't feel they had someone they could really talk to. So that intimate connection, um, Robin Dunbar, who's an evolutionary anthropologist, came up with those five intimates that I talked to you about. And he says most people find them in the people they cohabitate with. But if you're a single woman like me that lives alone, you're getting those people in your good friends or family. And normally this is the measure is they're people that you can call on in a crisis. They're people um, that you can be vulnerable with and love you warts and all. Those intimate connections, when you are without those, they're like anchors, yeah, you yeah. need to have that. You can't just have micro connections, people you see in a nightclub and nod to and not have those. And yeah. just to tap into that self-awareness. So the second book I'm working on is about self-connection, which I define as the awareness of one's own experience in any given moment. And you yeah. can see just with the example you gave how pivotal self-connection is to the health and maintenance of your relationship. So I also think mm. we're lonelier because we're not, we maintain our shoes and our clothes more than we maintain our friendships. We're disposing of them because we have dating apps and social media where we think there's a never-ending supply rather than the mend-and-make-do approach of the generations before yeah. who learnt that maintenance and that com- that maintenance is underpinned by communication, right? Mm. 
That's really powerful. Like you, you really stimulated my mind there. First of all, congratulations on your second so book. Um, and your first book, the title of it, do you want to just let people know what the title is? Yeah, it was Secret Pandemic, The Search for Connection in a Lonely World. So it was written based off the fact that all of the researchers in the field were saying loneliness is a secret epidemic. And then what happened two months before the second book came out, which is a remix of the first added chapters and a new title, was that it no longer became a secret. So U.S. Surgeon General came out and it became like a global press release. And then, I mean, that alone makes me feel so much better to be part of this movement that took something five years ago from being a secret pandemic to now being like talked about. We're talking about it. People are posting about it. um, And more and more people are authoring on it. And this is all great news for us because it's, it's a human crisis. We're not born to be connecting fully online. That's not how we evolved as homo sapiens. So we need to be reminded of how to connect again do you feel that when people when you when you speak about loneliness do you feel that people understand the concept of what loneliness means but also do you feel that people understand how to sort of like move away from loneliness back to connecting so I feel like Gen Z it's a particular struggle they are in Australia and the US they come up as the loneliest of all generations that means they're lonelier than people like my mum, who's 80 years old in a nursing home. Why do you think and that is? So my inference is, this is not backed by science, but my inference is we who have had an analog childhood learnt how to connect when we needed to. So when we came out of the pandemic, it was just like going to the gym and building back a muscle that was there. Yeah, yeah, Imagine yeah. the years that you spend forming your identity through social interaction with other people you have that robbed for two and a half years during a pandemic and then you've grown up online that's increased exponentially by the pandemic yeah and you don't have a muscle that's growing back you never were given the muscle so that makes it a lot harder to reconnect and know what you're doing when you're trying to bring connection into your life. So I'm actually not surprised. I spend a lot of time, i got a bit of following TikTok, I spend a lot of time there, and I read a lot of their comments when I do post about human connection. And sometimes it shocks me. Like, I don't need human connection, I just need Wi-Fi connection. I don't need this, I'm an introvert, I don't need other people, I don't like other people. You know, that you don't hear that from the other generations. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. really, fa- really fascinating. And even when you say that, what what comes up for me is that this idea of like self-love is like, yeah, you have to learn to love yourself. And you're like, again, we don't really need others, but we do need others. We are human beings. We need connection. And this is, is this also one of the reasons why mental health is increasing as well, because we are disconnected more than ever before um, from people, because like you said, we, it's easy to replace or it's easy to find new people. It's easy to do it. But where's the depth with these relationships and the real honesty of you showing up, being your authentic self, rather than just trying to just keep it at surface level or also superficial. Um, and when you, well, when you um, were doing your research in loneliness, when you were um, writing the book, did you come across anything or association connections with mental yeah. health and loneliness? So I have a really fascinating one that blew my mind. Look, I can see from you your know, face now. I was like, oh, I, I, I have to tell this. She's going to love this. If she's a doctor. You know, there's this conception that when we cry, we feel better afterwards. And many people thought that this was to do with the fact that when you cry, you're 
you um, are releasing um, stress, essentially. And then they studied the proteins in the tears. And what they discovered was it actually has nothing to do with that. It's two things. Firstly, crying is normally the lowest point of the emotional scale. So you're already, you can't go any lower anyway. But the second thing is most commonly what people did when they were crying was they reached out to someone to cry to, and that's what provided the mood boost. So it wasn't that I feel better after a cry, which is what we see all the time online. It's like, no, I feel better after a cry because I connected with someone. I got oxytocin and dopamine. My serotonin went up from being in connection with that other human. And that is such an example of, if a generation is crying alone, and Simon yeah. Sinek's done a lot of work around this, if a generation is crying alone, this is really dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Like th- that means you're not you're not necessarily coming back up. Maybe you're you're staying at quite a yeah. low level. Yeah, and I wonder as well when we say it's dangerous, how does that impact on our low mood, our motivation, and the choices that we're making in life? Do we just stay in this place because we feel like we never really experience this sort of deep connection, and we feel like what we don't know we have, or what we don't know we don't know? So if we don't know that that's available, how then can we um, start looking for that until? we get to a place where we're very, very low in mood. And that's when we're thinking, hang on, something needs to change here. And that's where we may gain support or start looking out for um, answers. And that's going within to then be able to understand, okay, what is it that's happening? Why do I feel this way? To then be able to give them skill set to start connecting with people and feeling these feelings of um, having people around and and feeling loved, feeling cared for, feeling supported. Yeah. And I think what's really fascinating there is what you're essentially saying is that connection is an emergency vehicle when someone is their rock bottom, whereas ancestrally, connection was imbued into every part of daily life. That's a huge shift. And that, the U.S. Surgeon General says, and of course I agree, is a symptom of modernity and how we use technology, that we become like that. But our grandparents... um, living in villages, acknowledging everyone, like they couldn't get relatives to stop dropping in on them without an invite, especially if they were Asian. Like it would be people sharing communally with food. We don't live like that anymore. And it's done exactly what you've said, Alita. It's like only when you're rock bottom is there emotional leverage enough to connect because it feels so uncomfortable and you must get so many patients like this. It's the loneliness is so painful only then will I go out to meet people. And we want to get people before they get to that point, which is why I have a book, which is why you post the things you post. We're trying to get people before that rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I I also feel like it comes from the worth that we hold of ourselves as well. So when, for example, like growing up, if something happened where you weren't able to really show up being yourself, you may have learned that I need to stay responsible for other people. So when we think of like people falling into people pleasing patterns or being over responsible, being high achieving, sometimes you're go, 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 and you end up constantly doing things for other people. And that can also feel very um, lonely. So although you see these people as being high achievers or that they're really successful, they're, they're really driven they're doing all these things actually in the background there can be this deep sense of loneliness but they don't even know it because that's always been their way of being and it's only when people come into like a therapy space or they start they, they hit this sort of brick wall and they're like I need to understand what's going on because I feel I can't keep going on like this I'm burnt out I'm exhausted I'm tired and I don't want to keep presenting in this way because my needs aren't being met but they don't know what these needs are until they start going inwards to make sense of this 
I remember the first time my therapist said to me, she said, wow, it sounds, you know, like you're really, like you're really lonely. And I felt such shame around that. Yeah. But now I think that this is a fascinating conversation. I think it's lonely at the top. So if you're, and when I say the top, I don't mean just at least successfully, successful people are famous or big CEOs. If you look at the exact people pleaser you're talking about, it's the woman in the community that delivers meals to everyone else's when they're sick. It's the woman that has the phone tree um, for, you know, manages the phone tree for the school and goes to all the PTA meetings and like volunteers. That's lonely too, because you're perceived just the same way as a CEO as hyper capable. Yeah. And therefore, in some sense, you couldn't possibly be lonely. And I think what the work that I try and do um, is just to say that loneliness looks like all of us. Loneliness looks like any generation um, because it's now epidemic level. So I probably wouldn't have said this 10 years ago if I knew what I knew, but it's now pervasive across the community. Yeah. And you said something really interesting, which is shame, shame around loneliness, shame about admitting that you don't feel like you've got the right tribe or the right people around you. And what do you feel like if shame had words, what do you feel shame would say um, for people who are feeling shame around loneliness? So firstly, one of my favorite lines in the book is nothing augments shame like silence. So if you feel shameful about loneliness and you're not telling anyone, that only makes it worse. It just sharpens the knife, isolates you Mm. further. I think um, shame is like one of the lowest vibrations. So it's like a double hitter. Like you feel shameful about something that happened and then you feel shameful and guilty for having the shame because you're like, I have a beautiful house and lovely children. I don't have the right to feel lonely. And the last thing I would want to say is I had an experience uh, last week with an old friend of mine and I realized like I had grown a lot and I hadn't really seen him since before the pandemic. And I realized Mm. like our values had changed so much And I felt more lonely in that interaction with our values butting up, you know, against each other than I had in a long time because I found my tribe. I may not have a husband or a boyfriend, but man, am I incredible at dating platonically, like finding my tribe. And that's to do with my childhood trauma. So because my house didn't feel safe, I became very good at building a family. And that was the first time in maybe four or five years that a platonic friendship had made me feel lonely. So this is what I'm going to say to you. If you have friends that make you feel dirty after that interaction, make you feel more lonely, it's probably down to their values. And if you can have a bit of a deep breath and a self-connect, I want you to examine the values of those people from which when you close the door of your house and they leave and you don't feel good about you and you feel more lonely, it's probably a values issue. And how can you work towards finding people that align with your values? And that normally has to do with the venues you hang out with, the hobbies that you have. That's probably where you're going to find people with more more similar values. And this is how religion got created millennia ago, right? Religion became popular because it gave people a sense of connection and community based on similar values. And it, unfortunately it's kind of not working that way with the internet now and all of the things that we have anymore. But imagine that you're going to simulate a church of your own, like a tribe of your own. Um, 
But the, the loneliness I felt the other day, just being really honest, was it was like a sharp pain in my chest because it was so unfamiliar. It had been so many years since I'd experienced that. And I did make the decision after that that I don't think I'll be hanging out with that that person again because I'm not materialistic yeah. anymore. I'm not in the entertainment industry anymore. That it does, that lifestyle doesn't resonate with me anymore and nothing that I could share about my life now seemed yeah. of any value to this person. So, And you know, when you mentioned just there, you were talking about loneliness and your hands went like this. And I think when we think of loneliness, we think of it as a feeling, but the body, the body keeps score, the body knows, the body feels things. And sometimes we don't acknowledge that I'm feeling loneliness here. I'm feeling loneliness in my stomach. I'm feeling loneliness in when I'm around certain people. And I think this is more, the more self-awareness that you gain when you're doing your inner work, when you're understanding yourself, you're understanding what your values are. That's why then you, when you're communicating with people, you start noticing, hang on, I'm feeling that feeling here. Let me sit with this. Let me understand what is this saying to me? And is this something that's going on right now? So when you were with your friend, you noticed that feeling and it was here. And there was a part of you that was thinking to yourself, hang on, something doesn't feel like it's flowing here. And it's only when you're away from that person, you can reflect and start to notice, actually, I feel like my values are different because I've grown. I'm, I'm I've become more self-aware as I'm changing and as I'm, I'm learning new things. But this other person, once upon a time, we did connect we were able to to understand one another. But where we are now, I try, I'm trying to put this piece together, but it's not connecting in that way. So do you notice like when, when it comes to self-awareness and growth and development, that loneliness also comes in into that space? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's completely somatic. It, loneliness is the body's um, biological response to the threat of being yeah. left behind yeah. and not included. So a fight or flight response literally happens. We get like stress hormones through us uh, because if we were out living on the savannah, we would have been picked off by a saber-toothed tiger really quickly without our tribes people. We would not have survived. So it's wired into us that feeling of connection and safety yeah. by extension. So I think if you're stressed after a certain person leaves your house or you finish dinner with them and you can, for me, tightening in the clavicles, shortening of breath, all the classic stuff, ache in the chest, more to do with the grief of knowing I have to let that friendship go. But all of those things combine a pretty strong signal that there's a lack of safety, affiliation and belonging in the presence of that human. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I definitely couldn't agree more. It's definitely in, in our bodies for sure. Something and I think it's about need. trusting that, isn't it? It's trusting that feeling that does come up. And you may not know in that moment, but it's like, okay, right, I know I'm noticing this. So I get, I tend to get like this, this really tight feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, oh, something's going on here, but I don't know what. And sometimes I, I won't know until I have like a few days later. I'm like, that's what that was. Like, that's what that feeling was because I need that space and time to process, to make sense of it and to just have, um, yeah, I think there's, there's something really powerful about space and processing. So I think it's also understanding that, yes, your way of feeling loneliness is different to mine. So it's also not comparing and thinking, but that's not loneliness then if I'm feeling it like this. It's like, no, learn to understand what are your signs yeah. of loneliness. Learn to understand what's coming up for you. I think there's something really powerful in learning to understand and communicate with your body. Self-connection. Yeah. And like my therapist actually brought me through that. So for me... Um, abandonment and rejection happens in my stomach. So yeah. I will feel a bubbling of the stomach and she would even make me name it. So it's the color of the cauldron in like the Disney with the witches and the Disney thing and it's purple and it's bubbling. 
And I love it. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's yeah. I. It makes the process more fun, um, and it does help to process it. And so, I would suggest to anyone listening, um, find a fantastic therapist if you if that connection just is quite foreign to you. If what Dr. Lalita and I are talking about seems so out there, yeah. Um, but I have to tell you, your body will tell you before your brain. Yeah. yeah. Your body will keep you safe. I need to be better at listening to my body as I'm such a verbal person. I swear I could seduce my own therapist with how I frame things. I'm a professional speaker, right? Um, so my next arc of personal development work will all be somatic stuff because I yeah. think there's so much trapped in there and I'm not listening as well as I should. So that's my 2024 resolution slash project. Shouldn't that's say really beautiful. My that is beautiful. Project. Yeah. Yeah. You're not a project. You're, this is about self-healing and self, like just growing and developing yeah. and transforming. And that's what life is, isn't it? And I think sometimes when it comes to connections as well, people think, oh, these are going to be my people forever. And I think naturally we do grow in different spaces. And that doesn't mean that we have to hold anger or bitterness or resentment because those connections aren't the same or the way that it once was. It's like, just like with this friend of yours, it's like, okay, right, we're not aligning. And of course, there's going to be sadness and there's going to be um, other emotions that come up. But it's also knowing that I also need to let go of this because if I keep trying to hold on to this, I'm not fully living from my values. And I'm feeling like, okay, how do I then connect and get my needs met? And it might be that you don't just cut him out. You you have time with this person, but it's as long as it's on, it's it's still fulfilling for you and it's purposeful for you. Yeah, I think there's there's a beautiful book I'm in the middle of listening to right now. It's a Hay House book, actually. It's called The Art of Letting Go. Ooh. And he talks a lot about this, how it's not just a literal letting go like what we're discussing now, but that, that internal letting go has to happen. Yes. And I think I've been self-connecting in that. I know I'm physically going to let the person go, but there's parts of me that kind of want to still interestingly argue my case for my values. And then I think you should not really be in a position where you're arguing your values with your friends anyway. Yeah. Right. Like to the point that it is angering you. So I'm still working on the letting. He talks about the letting go of the inter internally as well. Yeah. And I think when that matches up with the external actions, you have that beautiful alignment. Um, yeah. So slowly. Slowly. And it's like that that forced sort of connection as well. Like when when you really want to be seen from by someone, and you're constantly just trying your your very best to force this connection, that can also feel quite draining, exhausting, and and it brings up feelings of not being good enough. And often, um, loneliness is hand in hand with not feeling enough because. When we often feel like we're not enough, we may not put ourselves in certain situations because we feel like, but they're not going to like me or they're going to reject me. And there's that fear of rejection, of judgment, of, criti of being criticized. So why would you put yourself in a situation like that? You'd rather just stay by yourself, even though you're not getting your needs met. It's almost like, but this is better than having to put myself in a space where I'm criticized, where I'm judged. And that's where like doing that internal work is, is really powerful and it gives you so much more insight. Um, and I suppose my question to you there with, with, with what I've just said is, is, is that a journey that you've been through with not feeling enough and, and leading to loneliness and sort of growing from that? Yeah, I've actually experienced that and another thing. And this is really interesting to show how when you don't know how you shop in relationships, you can just endure the whole gamut. So I would say that my first feelings of not being good enough and 
being unlovable yeah. manifested as me as a love addict. And by that, I don't just mean dating. I mean, I would go to parties and be the loudest person in the room and it was completely inauthentic. And I was trying to curry favor from people and have them like me. And I was like a puppy dog. And I write about this in the book. And then of course, these people reject you because you're coming on too strong. They're skeptical of you. Our brains are wired to be skeptical of people who are actually promiscuous connectors, like that they're social butterflies. Um, And so then that would reiterate the cycle of I'm not good enough. Now, someone who's deeply introverted might endure a bit more of what you're describing, Lolita. And we know that the lonely brain tells you to continue to stay at home because um, it's not rational. So when the very thing that you need is to go out and connect, loneliness changes the wiring of the brain. And there's some great work in my book by Dr. James Cohn on this. And so then it self-isolates you further when what you really need is connection. But I have also been in that second pile. After um, when I was taking care of my mum when she first became paralysed, I also had to clean up my family's um, my, my family home, which had hoarding. And my mother had hoarding disorder. And yeah. so I cleaned that hoard for six months full-time. Hmm. And I soon had no friends my age. I didn't feel that I would be a good guest at any dinner table because all my mind could think about was my family issues and about cleaning the hoard and what other 31-year-old would want to sit next to me and endure that conversation. And so I just started self-isolating. So that's the other side of it that I experienced a bit later in life. And the 20s were more the social butterfly that was a mask. And we've all met people like that before too. Yeah. So I've experienced it on both sides. And I guess my experience with it is what makes me an expert on it. <laughs> all the shades of loneliness. The shades of loneliness. What a great title. But when we go, when we think of like self-isolation, you're, you're, you're saying um, there's something that what, what, what other people aren't going to find this interesting or like there's these assumptions that we create, don't we, of like, other people not understanding and sometimes we test it as well so I know from people that I've worked with and even with myself it's like what will end up happening is you see okay this is what's going on for me I know it's really deep I know that um will other people be able to handle it and they might say oh how are you and you might say oh I'm not really feeling the best and they're like oh okay um so anyway what are you gonna what are you gonna do later today and you're like okay so because now they didn't ask more about that that means that they may not be able to handle that conversation so I'm I'm gonna choose not to share anymore. So I'm now going to self-isolate and I have to deal with this by myself. So that becomes a, a part of a pattern where we self-isolate because we think other people have got yes. it all together or I don't want to burden them or I don't want to like put my stuff onto them or they've got enough to deal with. So we end up then creating these assumptions which which can also prevent us from um, feeling connection. But also when we go through like mental health, often what will happen in the therapy space that I've noticed is people come in And they'll say, okay, I'm going through this big thing right now and something huge has happened in my life and it's making me change the way now that I'm coming across and I'm seeing things and the people that I'm around and I'm seeing things with a new lens. And that can be very isolating because they now are shifting and changing, but everyone else still sees them as being this other person. So they are now feeling very disconnected, very isolated feeling resentful because they're wanting to grow and change and to be treated in a certain way. They're not getting that from these people. So it leaves them feeling quite, I'm going to isolate myself now. I've had enough. No one else can get it. I have to deal with this by myself. And I'm wondering from your experience, have you come across this? 
Yeah, I actually have a really good tip for that. I will yeah. say that we know the lonely brain makes you hypervigilant for social threats. Yeah. So my biggest isolating thing, which the lonely brain put into my head was there is no one who can understand me. That's a big thing. Lonely people be, no one else can understand me. Yeah. No one else. There's no other 31 year old with a father in the grave and a mother in a wheelchair. This is what I literally told myself. So how could anyone understand what you're going through? And of course that was isolating. And the yeah. next point I wanted to tap into is this fantastic example of you talking about, and I'm writing this in the second book now about when you're in flux, I call it in flux, when you're moving from the previous version of yourself to the new version of yourself. And one thing that really helped me with my loneliness then, because that's when you can backslide, right? So I didn't want to backslide and go out partying with my entertainment industry friends anymore. I didn't want to be that girl in the Hervé Leisure counterfeit dress and high heels. I wanted to become the Simone I am now. And I wanted to be taken seriously, but then I was lonely because there was I was only just making those new friendships yeah, and yeah. I was still finding my way with a new tribe. So I had no tribe. And one thing that really helped me was buying self-development books and reading them. And they acted like the voice of a friend who was a reminder to stay on the course. Yeah. If I had it done, I still do that, Lolita, but not to the volume of what it was then. I was so lonely. I had all this new time from not socializing. And I just read, I swear I read two books a weekend, full day Saturday, full day Sunday. And it kept me focused on the future version of me. And it stopped mm. that loneliness because the voice of those authors became my friends. And I never yeah. thought that one day I would be one of those authors, but that, you know, that's hopefully the gift that you give on forward. So if anyone's listening and you're in that position and you don't want to backslide into the previous version of you, you're trying to yeah. leave behind yeah. and you're just making the new friends in your new version of you, and you don't want to be a creepo and freak out those new friends by being too needy. There are so many positive books to put great motivation and be the voice of reason. If you can't afford a therapist or a coach, because it's not available for everyone with the yeah. price point that it's at books are your next best friend, get a library card and go for it. Thank you. That's beautiful. And also like even podcasts and listening yeah. to YouTube video, TEDx talks, there's so much out there. Sometimes there's so much and you just don't know where to start, but choose one thing and, and start with one thing. Um, and it's one thing at a time, but don't feel that you need to go back to being an old version of you because you're going to lose these connections. It's not about, I need to keep these connections. So I have to be a certain way. It's like, no, I'm evolving. I'm becoming, I'm blossoming. And whoever is going to stay around me, will stay around me. And it's trusting that process because it's like with autumn, with the leaves, when the leaves start falling, the tree doesn't panic and be like, oh my God, no, no, don't go, don't go, stay, stay. And that's, I think that that's the process of um, growing, evolving, transforming is it's learning to let go that these leaves are going, these connections um, are going, but they're also shifting. They might come back, they might shift into a different space and, and it's being okay with that. You're magnificent. I mean, I could talk to you and we do talk, not on the podcast, but I could talk yeah. to you about these things all day, every day. Likewise, I love it. That's why I was like, right, I need Simone on here. We need to talk about it. But something that is on my mind and I'm just like, right, I'm going to ask her this. I'm going to ask her this. And I'm I'm sure everyone else here wants to understand this too. Why or what made you write this book? Where does this topic um, lie in your heart and what's driven you to write this book? So the book was written because I was already speaking on it. So I probably should go to why I took an interest in this yes, topic. please. I had a mentor who was mentoring me for speaking and he said, I've watched you in a room 
and you are amazing at connecting with people. And I hated myself so much at that okay. time. It's, it's only retrospect I realized how little I thought of myself compared to how, what I think of myself now. But yeah. I, I would describe it now as I hated myself. And I remember thinking, no, I'm such an awful person. I'm so mean and agitato and like I'm not a great connector. And so I started researching then what makes a great connector because my dad was a great connector. I was like, so what then makes a great connector? And then I fell in love with how much the studies, the research studies were reflecting my personal experiences with connection. Hmm. And then I added the layer of spirituality as I started to expand my knowledge there. Um, And then during the pandemic, we all had this vacuum of time. I always knew that I wanted to write a book to support my speaking work, but it was meant to be a corporate book. And this thing came out of me like a divine download and it wasn't at all corporate but I was like, well, it's too late now. It's written. And it just resonated with people so much and did very well in Singapore. And then Hay House picked it up internationally. It just had a life of its own. And I would say to anyone who's curious on any topic that they truly fall in love with, if your take on that topic um, is meant to help people in the world, nothing that you can ever do will stop it. So just let it go. Like I had friends who are speakers and they're like, Simone, it's a great book, but you can't bring this into speeches and sell this to corporations. Like it's like so vulnerable and oh my God. And, but I was like, but it came out of me this way for a reason. Like I, I'm, I'm just going to see where it goes and I'm not at all a go with the flow kind of girl. Yeah. I think people who have had a lot of lack of control in their childhood become very controlling as a safety response. Um, but this was one of the times where I was like, oh, hang, hands off. And it just spread kind of like wildfire. So that's the story of the book. It Thank you. Thank me. you for sharing that. And it, it sounds like, again, self-belief. Like uh, you, here you are doing talks, um, being yourself. And in the background, you've got the imposter there. The imposter like, oh, this is what's going on. Like you're not good enough and you're like this and no one like da, 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 whatever the imposter is saying. But you have that. No one sees that. Everyone sees you showing up, doing this and doing this. And it's only when you start to integrate the two different parts of you and it's like, hang hang on, where does this imposter come from? This post- imposter, like the way that I would describe it, is more of a coping way. It's like we've learned to sort of stay in control and that we, we need to be a certain way in the world to feel safe. And that imposter fed into that. But when you started to do your own inner work and understand more of that, it's like, hang on a minute, what is this imposter doing? And what am I, and what's all this? And and you became more curious with all of these different parts of you. And here you are today feeling enough within yourself, feeling that this is something I really connect with. It's almost like you've integrated all different parts of you to, to show up whole, to show up authentically. And it's like, this is my passion. This is something I love because I want more people to feel this way. And it's almost like you've entered another space of um, spirituality as well, where you've gone deeper into yourself. It's allowed you to connect with people, but it's also allowed that inner connection into your spirituality. How beautiful. I think it's an amazing thing because the message has also healed myself. So that's the irony of it, right? Like uh, you do this work and and I think you're being way too kind to me. I think it was an imposter voice, but I wasn't who I am now. Yeah. Then. Um, I wasn't as great with people, but the work has made me better Mm. because writing a story also gives you the catharsis that helps heal your trauma. So all of it conspired together in this beautiful miracle. It was a miracle. 
a miracle. Yeah. Really. And there's something really uh, powerful in like, okay, where we were like five years ago, where we're going to be in another five years, we'll be looking back thinking, oh, okay, I was I was that version, but here I am now. And I think we always are growing, we're always developing, we're always becoming another version of ourselves as we experience the world, as we grow, as we're triggered by something else. And it's like, what is this? What's going on here? But it's having that tool, to the right tools to be able to understand and, and regulate some of these things that are coming up. But whilst you're doing that, having the, those supportive connections around you, I think that's something really um, powerful. And I think it's the right people that have your back that um, see you the way that you want them to see you, that you feel you can go and talk to them and they might need some time out when you've shared things with them and they're able to communicate that with you. So it feels very safe to have connections where you know what's going on, they're consistent and you know where they stand. There's no games. It just feels very safe. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are about safe connections in that way. A hundred percent. And I was just thinking about how I feel that way with you. And I think one of the ways that if you're lost and or if you're from that Gen Z and you're like, yeah. how do I stop this trial and error meeting someone and sticking, throwing it against the wall and hoping it sticks, right? Because we go through that in our 20s, all of us. And I wish if I could go back and tell uh, Simone in her 20s who was running around at every social event in Dubai meeting people, I would say, number one, just because someone's nice doesn't mean they're good. Mm. So people can be very nice superficially, but are they good? So you're looking for value. And when I say good, it's what I mean is more they share your values and your morals. So look to that deeper level. Try and look for people where commonalities connect to you. So you have points of relatability. When I met Lolita, immediately our birthday is one day apart. We're both Asian. We're both female. We're both single. There were a lot of commonalities that created prime yeah. Petri dish for friendship to grow and to grow really quickly. So firstly, to have that safety Look for commonalities because it reminds the brain, like when we were early homo sapiens, the people in our tribe looked like us, sounded like us, spoke like us, moved their bodies like us. So that can help you feel more safe. And then the second thing is in the absence of being around people that look like you, I grew up as an immigrant kid in Perth in Western Australia and in the 90s, most people were blonde haired and blue eyed. They didn't look like me. Um, but what I found there very quickly was I looked for the good I didn't just look for nice. I looked for the good. And I think if you can do both of those things, you can start to really build. I look at my best girlfriends in Switzerland. They're all Swiss, right? They're, they, we don't look alike. But our morals and our values, like what a dreamy coincidence that we were thrown in the same school and village together and our families had raised us on that morals and values yeah. level, very, very similar, that human decency. These are not women who ghost people. These are not women who scream and shout at each other, gossip about each other. We've all been raised similarly in that specific way and that allows safe friendship to grow. So aim for that. Don't aim for the people who wear the same branded belt as you. <laughs> but isn't that really powerful and beautiful that you are now so in touch with these values that you have 
that when you're connecting with people, you it's almost like, okay, I can feel like even when we connected, we just, we just got on. We were just like, how long have we known each other? It, it just, it just flowed really well. And in some ways it's like, that's what you're learning. Again, your body is telling you what, how safe you feel when you're around certain people and it's understanding and following through with that. I think there's something really beautiful because one on one end you've got like loneliness and on the other end you've got connection but in the middle it feels like that's where you're doing your work and that's where like that's where you're trying to understand yourself and you're growing in your own self-worth because you attract different when you feel in a different space within yourself so if you're feeling good enough you will attract certain people around if you're feeling that I'm not good enough you may stay safe and feel I need people around where I'm more invisible or I need to do more for them so I feel of value when I'm connecting with them and I would add to that anyone who's listening who feels like oh I have trauma and I'm not good enough because of that trauma and who would want to be friends with me yeah I want to tell you that there is a wonderful gift from trauma and you know you've awakened when you can feel your trauma as elements of being a gift um but the hypervigilance that trauma gives us when we're connecting works not only to keep us safe but also works as a wonderful filter so remember I said to you is somebody, um, are they good or are they nice? And we live in a world where people will tell you, even on dating app, I'm family first, yeah. these are my values, blah, blah. But your hypervigilance as that trauma response will not just detect what they're saying, but you have spidey senses, that mind reading that happens to kids who grow up in chaotic homes. The mind reading will show you whether that person's actions support their words. And yeah. so if you're listening yeah. and you're like, I am traumatized and I, who would want to be friends with me? Honey, you have gifts as a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. And even when you say like, okay, it's a superpower. Do you feel like that's what, what um, you're feeling right now is that you're using these sort of spidey senses and connecting and, and feeling, okay, I can navigate this being in this way or presenting in this way. I do, but I'm going to be vulnerable and say, I really struggle with non-platonic relationships that's what I'm really working on as well for the end of this year next year is I'm really good with the friendship space and I have worked so hard and my girls and my family and there's a few guys in there too but largely my girls and my family um but I must say because I don't date very often so I don't get that practice we know in the psychology therapy space, desensitization can actually really help us. So if you're not doing something very often, it does shock your system. Whereas I'm connecting with my girlfriends yeah. constantly. I'm sure the leader wakes up and be like, can Simone not message me today? You know, I'm so in contact, but I'm not when it comes to dating. And I think that that lack Oh, I don't of- feel like that. I'm like, where is she? Where is she? <laughs> but I am I'm like a terrible immediate replier and I love human connection so much but I get I do get quite anxious fight or flight yeah so Simone I've got one more question for you and it's a it's quite an interesting question but if someone feels lonely and then they've built up their connections is it that it's okay for someone to to feel lonely again or is it almost like no you you once you understand loneliness you shouldn't ever feel lonely again like what's your sort of like response to that yeah so what um all the studies and the science um, state. So this is not, this is also, I guess, reflected in personal experience, but this is largely from all the studying that I've done is that we will all feel during our life, incidental spurts of loneliness. Yeah. And Dr. Yeah. John Cassiopo, who's like the big expert on this, um, he's passed away now, but he says that that's fine. It's just the body's alarm to go out and connect again. What we want to avoid, which is what we're seeing with the loneliness epidemic now 
is the constant chronic state of loneliness where people feel similar with anxiety and depression. They're feeling lonely all year round and the stress hormones are just over and over and over again their body and that's what damages the immunity and leads to life-shortening diseases, which is why you have these stats like loneliness is more dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the science behind it. So please don't feel um, bad if you have incidental moments of loneliness. It's the body's alarm to connect. And you should be worried, I think, if you don't feel that. Like maybe you're a sociopath if you don't feel that. Like you should just have that little impetus like, oh, I'd like a boyfriend today. Or, oh, I'd like to, um, you know, be with a gal pal today and watch movies and I don't have anyone I can call. Or I've moved to a new city and I just, I miss my family. I'm homesick. It's a form of loneliness. Yeah. And so these are, yeah, these don't, don't ever feel that way. It's everything that Lolita and I both talk about. It's an ongoing, continual process. It's part of life. And you said something really powerful that you, I, I think we need to elaborate on just quickly, is the stat that you just shared, feeling loneliness is like having 15 cigarettes a day. Is that what you said? Yeah. So loneliness um, is more dangerous. Chronic loneliness is more dangerous than 15 cigarettes a day, um, an alcohol use habit or um, obesity. And the lady who first found out about this 15 cigarettes a day, Julian Hotlunstad, she um, endorsed my book and she is the one that has brought that. And you'll see that quoted in Marie Folio's book on Lewis Howe's podcast. Like it's like the big I guess, take away from her studies. And uh, that is because of that exact fight or flight response that I um, explained later. So it just chips away at your immunity. Yeah, it just shows you how powerful loneliness is. I've used the word powerful so many times, but it just shows you how... Um, how it it can impact on the body and and the long term effects, mental health wise, on like your your physical body, physical on your emotional health, being, yeah. your spirituality, all of these things. It it it's really it is really big. So if you're avoiding, um, sort of feeling these feelings, my sort of um sort of question or advice here is go out, notice what's going on for you, and and start really doing that inner work to understand. So you're not just avoiding and ignoring because this ha- is 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 impactful in lots of different ways. Absolutely. It's a global epidemic right now. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I've really appreciated your time. I know in Singapore, you're, we're on the, like the other side and it's timing wise, it's your evening now. So it's my morning here. Um, so thank you for making that time. I appreciate it. Um, but before we end, we always have one question that we ask everyone. Um, sure. And I don't think you know about this yet. So uh, here we are. I'm just going to drop it in. But do you feel life is fair? Gosh, this is very complex. It's a really big question. Yeah. When my father passed away, I went through the stage of grief where I was very angry. And I thought, Mm -hmm. how can his cousin still being alive who smokes and drinks like a fish? And my father, who never picked up a drink, never smoked a cigarette, has died really young of cancer. And if you'd asked me then, I would say life is really unfair, right? But as I've gotten older and you lean into life and you just do life and you see how people's stories end up, I think life has this mystical fairness that's quite incredible if you're looking for the signs. So if you have a spiritual awareness and you're looking for the signs, it all shows up for you. Yeah, That's my take. Thank you. I appreciate that. And if someone wants to get in contact with you, where can they find you? 
Sure. Um, I try and reply to everyone. You can DM me on Instagram or LinkedIn, but my preference is um, an email through simoneheng.com because then I get less anxiety when it goes to my email inbox when I feel that I won't forget to reply. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Simone.